This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. It's good to have you with us. It is Friday, the first day of December, 2023. The last month of 2023 is upon us, and it's the kickoff of the the Christmas season in all of its glory. I know for far too much of the world, the Christmas season seems to start before Halloween these days. Um, I remember when I was growing up, you know, mom, mom would say that when you see the Christmas decorations going up in the stores, you know, it's almost Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving was always the official kickoff of Christmas. You had the, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade that, you know, Santa came down the street and, and, and that was the, the start of Christmas. And so it was always, you know, and that was last week. So, so we are in the Christmas season. Um, nowadays, when you see the Christmas decorations going for sale in the store, you know, it's almost Halloween. Um, and in some cases, you know, it's almost the 4th of July. Um, I'm trying to think. I was I was walking through Lowe's late August, early September, and they already had not the full Christmas section, but they had a corner of the store that, that you know, they had a couple of the, you know, fake trees and stuff that you could buy lawn decorations for people that wanted to get an early start, I guess. Um but it's December now, so we are fully into Christmas. We can we can relax and enjoy, and and I'm uh, I'm off today. As soon as I'm done with the podcast, I'm driving into uh, to the church to rehearse with my friend Daryl, who's going to be accompanying me in uh, a a solo for the Christmas Eve service. Um, and I, we're we're going to rehearse two songs, but I've been informed I only get to sing one of them. So we'll we'll rehearse and we'll talk and we'll we'll pick one. Uh, so that's the plan there. Um, I think I know which one I'm going to sing, but you never know. We may get there, and the other one just seems to work much better. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I was going to take him to lunch afterwards, but he said that he's got to uh, go hang out at the hot springs with his wife. So they're going to go go soak in a hot tub and, and uh, have some uh, marital time together, I guess. And it's just like, well, fine. Skip out on lunch. See how I rate. <laughs> this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. 
And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com, check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. Mm. Oh, this is Montana Coffee Traders Glacier Blend. Oh, good coffee. And it was actually, it's actually the last bag of coffee in the house. And so uh, I've ordered some coffee, but I'm not sure if it's going to be here before I'm out of coffee. So when I uh, get done at the church rehearsing, I'm going to go buy a bag of coffee so that uh, I can bridge that gap. <laughs> so, but I've got, I've got, uh, um, I've got some more Montana coffee traders coffee coming and I've got some herbs house coffee coming. So I've got, uh, and, and when I'm done with that sometime in the new year, I'll, uh, get a, get a few bags of squirrely Joe's coffee. None of these coffee companies, by the way, sponsor the show. Um, they could, if we had sponsors, we don't, <laughs> but that's just the way it is. Um, I, I will drink their coffee with blissful, uh, ignorance of the fact that, uh, they're not promoting me at all. Actually, that's not true. Joe from Squirrely Joe's has retweeted some of my tweets, um, including links to the show. So I can't say they don't promote me at all, but he's not a sponsor of the show. <laughs> all right. Oh, so what do we got coming up today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And then it's Federalist Friday. So we are going to be looking at Federalist Paper number 37 as we continue to work our way through the Federalist Papers. Um, so uh, let's get started. Before we get started, um, I am wearing Grizz gear again today because tomorrow night in a night game at 7 o'clock in the evening, Night game in Montana in December, and it's supposed to snow today and tomorrow. Um, so we're expecting kind of, it's going to be warmish in the mid-30s. So it's going to be above, it's supposed to be above freezing at kickoff. It's supposed to be above, excuse me, it's supposed to be above freezing, but it's supposed to be snowing. So I'm expecting rain, snow, sleet, wet. Um, so I'm thinking about, you know, bundling up under my rain poncho <laughs> so that, uh, I, I, we're, we'll have to determine the, exactly the composition of the clothing when we go. It's going to be a night game, so there's going to be no solar heating and it's going to be, uh, you know, cold and wet. So this is going to be a bundle up game for sure. Um, I was I was actually hoping it would be a little bit colder because if it was colder it'd be drier. Um you know frozen snow is dry. <laughs> it's melted snow that's wet. <laughs> um and so having a drier uh a colder game and drier game would be a little bit better. I used to when I was working construction I always preferred you know working in the snow as opposed to working in the rain. It just snow was much more pleasant unless it was coming down by, you know, 
three feet an hour kind of snow. But that's unpleasant in any case. But yes, winter is settling in here in the piney woods. We have no snow on the ground now. It's been a fairly dry fall. We had, oh, back in mid-October, we had I mean, a good dump of snow. We had almost a foot of snow. And we had, and we've had cold temperatures the last couple of weeks, but that foot of snow back in October melted off within a week, and we've had cold these last couple of weeks. I mean, really cold, um, you know, really cold down in the teens. I mean, we're not talking about the surface of Pluto, but you know, cold. And that cold, um, but it was a dry. There wasn't any snow, so we've had you know. Um, couple of lows in the low teens. I don't think we've had single digits yet, but we've been in the low teens. That's Fahrenheit for you fall, uh, foreigners. Um, so it has been below freezing, even though it's above zero. I know that confuses you. That's all right. Your, scale, your Celsius scale confuses me. Um, and as I was reminded not too long ago, there are two types of nations in the world. There are those that use the metric system and there are those that have landed on the moon, and we'll just leave that there. All right, let's begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Today's devotional is entitled, How His Kingdom Comes. Your kingdom come, Matthew 6, 10a. Dr. MacArthur writes, It is obvious that Christ is not physically ruling on earth today, but one day he will. Therefore, we should pray that God would hasten that time when his son returns to establish his earthly kingdom, defeat sin, and ensure obedience to God's will. After a thousand years, this kingdom will merge into the eternal kingdom, and his earthly and heavenly rule will be the same. See Revelation 20 and 21. There are two major ways in which God's kingdom comes. They ought to inform our prayers as we ask him to complete his purpose. First, his kingdom comes by means of conversions. Thus, we should pray for sinners to repent, Mark 1, 14 and 15, and to embrace the gospel, Luke 9, 61 and 62. Our prayers must be simply that the Spirit will add new citizens to God's kingdom. Second, the kingdom comes through believers' commitment. 
If we pray as Jesus commands, we will constantly ask that our lives and those of other Christians might obediently honor and glorify God in heaven. The kingdom that we hope and pray for is an infinite value. Jesus elsewhere teaches that it is like a treasure hidden in a field or like one pearl of great value, Matthew 13, 44-46. When the kingdom fully comes at his return, God will have completely answered our prayers. As the hymn says, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore, till moon shall wax and wane no more. One of my favorite hymns, by the way. Ask yourself, how focused are you on these twin elements of kingdom advance? How do these priorities show themselves in your daily choices and activities? If they are commonly missing from your field of reference, ask yourself why this is the case. All right. That is that. All right. It is Federalist Friday. We are continuing to work our way through the Federalist Papers. And as I have stated before, when we're done reading through the Federalist Papers, we are going to go back and we are going to go slowly through the United States Constitution. And in light of what we've learned in the Federalist Papers, we're going to talk about all of the clauses and provisions that are put forth in the Constitution And talk about how our government, or the government of the United States, you may not be an American, but how the government of the United States is intended to function. And that is the plan. This is inspired by the fact that this is no longer taught in our schools. Um, this was you know, regular course of instruction when I was in school 40 years ago. Um, yes, 2023. Four is the 40th anniversary of my graduation of high school. Um, I imagine we'll have a 40th reunion. I have not heard anything from anyone, but I would not be surprised. Um, that would be fun to see everybody. Um, uh, it's always a good time to get together with, with uh, the classmates. Um, we had a fairly close class. Um, there were 53 of us, I believe. Um, in that graduating class. Yes, it was a small high school. Um, it was a class B school back then. It's a class A school now. Um, that area has grown. All of the uh, hay fields that I used to buck bales on and change pipes on when I was in high school for gas money, all of those hay fields, or many of them, not every one of them, many of them, are now housing developments. So the area where I grew up is, has grown immensely, and uh, the high school is quite a bit bigger. And it is a Class A school instead of a Class B school. But, uh, you know, I think the, 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 it's about doubled in size. I think there's about 400 students there. Um, but it was about 200 when I graduated, 50 of them per class. In our class, we were all friends. Um I I mean, there were people I enjoyed the presence of more than others, 
but I can't think of anybody in the class that I just wouldn't want to spend time with. Um, of course, we've had a few of them pass away in the last 40 years. Um, I'm not sure how many. I'm only thinking of a few, but, you know, they, they are missed. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd look forward to that. Um, you know, I've, I, it, for, for quite a while now, I have been at the age where I notice the ages of people in obituaries. And um, they are often my age or younger. And uh, the, the majority of the people that are passing away are still older than I am. But there are enough people my age and younger passing away that uh, it's good to take note of that and realize the brevity of life. Um, as uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting because that's the end of all men and the wise take it to heart. So we should consider the brevity of life and understand that all that really truly matters is eternity with God and, uh, so repent of our sins. But 40 years ago, when I was in school, we were taught the Federalist Papers. We were taught the Constitution. Um, gosh, beginning in eighth grade civics class, we went through the Constitution and talked about what each clause went. And then when I was in high school government class my senior year, it was more in-depth because we read the Federalist Papers and and that those were our, we didn't have a textbook we all had a copy of the federalist papers and we had a copy of the constitution they weren't even in the same book i think the federalist papers book may have had the copy of the constitution but we had the little you know pamphlet sized constitutions that were given out to us at the first day of class that we got to keep <laughs> um i have some of those pocket constitutions around here um I'm not seeing one. My office is still a mess <laughs> um, from from all the remodel and stuff that I did after the computer. Died. I said this is this shelf is going to shift to the left, and there's going to be a bookcase right there next to the window, a little narrow one foot bookcase to get some of these books that are still on the floor up and out. And then I've got still got a stack of books out in the hallway that need to be dealt with. Um, many of them will be packed up and, uh, and and put into storage, and a few of them might actually find their way to the book exchange um, or into the hands of friends who would appreciate them. Um, but uh, that's for a future endeavor. But anyway, we, we had... The Constitution and the Federalist Papers, those were the texts of our U.S. government class in high school. And it's not anymore. So we're going through the Federalist Papers, and then we're going to look at the Constitution. Um, because it's a good review for those of us who have studied it. And those of us who have not studied it need to. Um, it is important. God instituted governments among men. Um while I reject the idea that the Constitution is a divinely inspired document on 
the level of scripture, which some people hold to, I've heard that view, um, that's not the case. But at the same time, it is God's will that the United States would have the government that it has. And so he has instituted governments among men. And we need to understand our government. He also gives authority. And the citizens of a democratic republic have the authority to help determine the direction of the country by electing representatives so that we have authority that we are responsible to exercise, responsible to God. He gave us that authority. This is why the idea that, that Christians shouldn't vote is silly. You're going to give an answer for how you used or didn't use the authority that God gave you. So consider it well. So we are going through the Federalist Papers. We're going to go through the Constitution. And we're going to come to an understanding of how the government is supposed to function. Because that informs our understanding of how things are falling apart today. So, without further ado, this is Federalist number 37. Um, uh, out of the 85 Federalist Papers. Concerning the difficulties of the convention in devising a proper form of government. From the Daily Advertiser, Friday, January 11th, 1788. This one is authored by James Madison, who we have not heard from in a while because all of the recent Federalist papers we've been looking at have been authored by Alexander Hamilton. This is James Madison, the, the second of the three authors. Um, it was Hamilton, Madison, and John Jay were the three authors of the Federalist papers. And remember, the Federalist papers were a series of newspaper articles, essays, really, essays published in newspapers to explain the Constitution and urge its ratification in each state. And it was sent. We all, all of the collected copies of the Federalist Papers are addressed to the people of the state of New York because it was a New York publisher who gathered them up and published them and collected them. And that's been the collection that we have used ever since. But they were published in every state because every state had a vote to ratify or not the Constitution. All right. Concerning the difficulties of the convention in devising a proper form of government to the people of the state of New York, in reviewing the defects of the existing confederation and showing that they cannot be supplied by a government of less energy than that before the public, Several of the most important principles of the latter fell, of course, under consideration. But as the ultimate object of these papers is to determine clearly and fully the merits of this Constitution and the expediency of adopting it, our plan cannot be complete without taking a more critical and thorough survey of the work of the Convention, without examining it on all its sides, comparing it in all its parts, and calculating its probable efforts, the probable effects. 
that this remaining task may be executed under impressions conducive to a just and fair result, some reflections must in this place be indulged, which candor previously suggests. It is a misfortune, inseparable from human affairs, that public measures are rarely investigated with that spirit of moderation which is essential to a just estimate of their real tendency to advance and obstruct the public good, and that this spirit is more apt to be diminished than promoted by those occasions which require an unusual exercise of it. To those who have been led by experience to attend to this consideration, it could not appear surprising that the act of the convention which recommends so many important changes and innovations, which may be viewed in so many lights and relations, and which touches on the springs, which touches the springs of so many passions and interests, should find or excite dispositions unfriendly, both on one side or the other, and on the other, to a fair discussion and accurate judgment of its merits. In some, it has been too evident from their own publications that they have scanned the proposed Constitution not only with a predisposition to censor, but with a predetermination to condemn, as the language held by others betrays an opposite predetermination or bias, which must render their opinions also of little moment in question. In placing, however, these different characters on a level with respect to the weight of their opinions, I wish not to insinuate that there may not be a material difference in the purity of their intentions. It is but just to remark in favor of the latter description that as our situation is universally admitted to be peculiarly critical and to require indispensably that something should be done for our relief, the predetermined portion the predetermined patience, excuse me the predetermined patron of what has been actually done may have taken his bias from the weight of these considerations as well as from considerations of a sinister nature the predetermined adversary on the other hand can have been governed by no venal motive whatever the intentions of the first may be upright as they may, on the contrary, be culpable. The views of the last cannot be upright and must be culpable. But the truth is that these papers are not addressed to persons falling under either of these characters. They solicit the attention of those only who add to a sincere zeal for the happiness of their country, a temper favorable to a just estimate of the means of promoting it. Persons of this character will proceed to an examination of the plans submitted by the convention, not only without a disposition to find or to magnify faults, but will see the propriety of reflecting that a faultless plan was not to be expected. Nor will they barely make allowances for the errors which may be chargeable on the fallibility to which the convention, as a body of men, were liable but will keep in mind that they themselves also are but men and ought not to assume an infallibility in rejudging the fallible opinions of others. With equal readiness will it be perceived that besides these inducements to candor, many allowances ought to be made for the difficulties inherent in the very nature of the undertaking referred to the convention. 
The novelty of the undertaking immediately strikes us. It has been shown in the course of these papers that the existing confederation is founded on principles which are fallacious, that we must con consequently change this first foundation, and with it the superstructure resting upon it. It has been shown that the other confederacies, which could be consulted as precedents, have been vitiated by the same erroneous principles, and can therefore furnish no other light than that of beacons, which give warning of the course to be shunned, without pointing out, pointing out that which ought to be pursued. The most that the Convention could do in such a situation was to avoid the errors suggested by the past experience of other countries, as well as of our own, and to provide a convenient mode of rectifying their own errors as future experiences may unfold them. Among the difficulties encountered by the Convention, a very important one must have lain in combining the requisite stability and energy in government with the inviolable inviolable attention due to liberty and to the Republican form. Without substantially accomplishing this part of their undertaking, they would have very imperfectly fulfilled the object of their appointment or the expectations of the public. Yet that it could not be easily accomplished will be denied by no one who is, willing, who is unwilling to betray his ignorance of the subject. Energy in government is essential to that security against external and internal danger, and to that prompt and salutary execution of the laws, which enter into the very definition of good government. Stability in government is essential to national character and to the advantages annexed to it, as well as to that repose and confidence in the minds of the people, which are among the chief blessings of civil society. An irregular and mutable legislation is not more an evil in itself than it is odious to the people, and it may be pronounced with assurance that the people of this country, enlightened as they are with regard to the nature and interest as the great body of them are in the effects of good government, will never be satisfied till some remedy be applied to the vicissitudes and uncertainties which characterize the state administrations. On comparing, however, these valuable ingredients with the vital principles of liberty, we must perceive at once the difficulty of mingling them together in their due proportions. The genius of republican liberty seems to demand on one side not only that all power should be derived from the people, but that those entrusted with it should be kept in independence on the people by a short duration of their appointments and that even during this short period the trust should be placed not in a few, but in a number of hands. Stability, on the contrary, requires that the hands in which power is lodged should continue for a length of time the same. A frequent change of men will result from a frequent return of elections, and a frequent change of measures from a frequent change of men. Whilst energy in government requires not only a certain duration of power, but the execution of it by a single hand. How far the convention may have succeeded in this part of their work will better appear on a more accurate view of it. From the cursory view here taken, it must clearly appear to have been an arduous part. 
not less arduous must have been the task of making the proper line of partition between the authority of the general and that of the state governments. Every man will be sensible of this difficulty in proportion as he has been accustomed to contemplate and discriminate objects extensive and complicated in their nature. The facilities of the mind itself have never yet been distinguished and defined with satisfactory precision by all the efforts of the most acute and metaphysical philosophers. Sense, perception, judgment, desire, volition, memory, imagination are found to be separated by such delicate shades and minute graduations that their boundaries have eluded the most subtle investigations and remain a pregnant source of ingenious disquisition and controversy. The boundaries between the great kingdom of nature and still more between the various provinces and the lesser portions into which they are subdivided afford another illustration of the same important truth. The most sagacious and laborious naturalists have never yet succeeded in tracing with certainty the line which separates the district of vegetable life from the neighboring region of unorganized matter, or which marks the termination of the former and the commencement of the animal empire. A still greater obscurity lies in the distinctive characters by which the objects in each of these great departments of nature have been arranged and assorted. When we pass from the works of nature, in which all the delineations are perfectly accurate and appear to be otherwise only from the imperfection of the eye which surveys them, to the institutions of men, in which the obscurity arises as well from the object itself as from the organ by which it is contemplated, we must perceive the necessity of modeling still further our expectations and hopes from the efforts of human sagacity. Experience has instructed us that no skill in the science of government has yet been able to discriminate and define with sufficient certainty its three great provinces, the legislative, executive, and judiciary, or even the privileges and powers of the different legislative branches. Questions daily occur in the course of practice, which prove the obscurity which reigns in these subjects and which puzzles the greatest adepts in political science. The experience of ages with the continued and combined labors of the most enlightened legislators and jurists, has been equally unsuccessful in delineating the several objects and limits of different codes of law and different tribunals of justice. The precise extent of the common law and the statute law the maritime law, the ecclesiastical law, the law of corporations, and other local laws and customs remain still to be clearly and finally established in Great Britain, where accuracy in such subjects has been more industriously pursued than in any other part of the world. The jurisdiction of her several courts, general and local, of law, of equity, of admiralty, etc., is not less a source of frequent and intricate discussions sufficiently denoting the indeterminate limits by which they are respectively circumscribed. All new laws, though penned with the greatest technical skill and passed on the fullest and most mature deliberation, are considered as more or less obscure and equivocal 
until their meaning be liquidated and ascertained by a series of particular discussions and adjudications. Besides the obscurity arising from the complexity of objects and the imperfection of the human faculties, the medium through which the conceptions of men are conveyed to each other adds a fresh embarrassment. The use of words is to express ideas. Perspicuity, therefore, requires not only that the ideas should be distinctly formed, but that they should be expressed by words distinctly and exclusively appropriate to them. But no language is so copious as to supply words and phrases for every complex idea, or so correct as not to include many equivocal, equivocally denoting different ideas. Hence, it must happen that however accurately objects may be discriminated in themselves, and however accurately the discrimination may be considered, the definition of them may be rendered inaccurate by the inaccuracy of the terms in which it is delivered. And this unavoidable inaccuracy must be greater or less according to the complexity and novelty of the objects defined. When the Almighty himself condescends to address humankind in their own language, his meaning, luminous as it must be, is rendered dim and doubtful by the cloudy medium through which it is communicated. Here, then, are three sources of vague and incorrect definitions, indistinctness of the object, imperfection of the organ of conception, inadequateness of the vehicle of ideas. Any one of these must produce a certain degree of obscurity. The convention, in delineating the boundary between the federal and the state jurisdictions, must have experienced the full effect of them all. To the difficulties already mentioned may be added the interfering pretensions of the larger and smaller states. We cannot err in supposing that the former world, the former would contend for a participation in the government fully proportioned with their superior wealth and importance, and that the latter would not be less tenacious of the equality at present enjoyed by them. We may well suppose that neither side would entirely yield to the other, and consequently that the struggle could be terminated only by compromise. It is extremely probable also that after the ratio of representation has been adjusted, this very compromise must have produced a fresh struggle between the same parties, to give such a turn to the organization of the government and to the distribution of its powers as would increase the importance of the branches, informing which they had respectively obtained the greatest share of influence. There are features in the Constitution which warrant each of these suppositions, and as far as either of them is well-founded, it shows that the Convention must have been compelled to sacrifice theoretical propriety to the force of extraneous considerations. Nor could it have been the large and small states only, which would marshal themselves in opposition to each other on various points. Other combinations, resulting from a difference of local position and policy, must have created additional difficulties. As every state may be divided into different districts and its citizens into different classes, which give birth to contending interests and local jealousies, so the different parts of the United States are distinguished from each other by a variety of circumstances, which produce a like effect on a larger scale. And although this variation of interests, for reasons sufficiently explained in a former paper, may have a salutary influence, 
in the administration of the government when formed, yet everyone must be sensible of the contrary influence, which must have been experienced in the task of forming it. Would it be wonderful if, under the pressure of all these difficulties, the convention should have been forced into some deviations from the artificial structure and regular symmetry which an abstract view of the subject might lead it, might lead an ingenious theorist to bestow upon a constitution planned in his closet or in his imagination? The real wonder is that so many difficulties should have been surmounted and surmounted with a unanimity almost as unprecedented as it must have been unexpected. It is impossible for any man of candor to reflect on this circumstance without partaking of the astonishment. It is impossible for the man of pious reflection not to perceive in it a finger of that almighty hand which has been so frequently and signally extended to our relief in the critical stages of the revolution. We had occasion, in a former paper, to take notice of the repeated trials which have been unsuccessfully made in the United Netherlands for reforming the baneful and notorious vices of their constitution. The history of almost all the great councils and consultations held among mankind for reconciling their discordant opinions, assuaging their mutual jealousies, and adjusting their respective interests is a history of factions, contentions, and disappointments, and may be classed among the most dark and degraded pictures which display the infirmities and depravities of the human character. If, in a few scattered instances, a brighter aspect is presented, they serve only as exceptions to admonish us of the general truth, and by their luster to darken the gloom of the adverse prospect to which they are contrasted. In, revol in revolving the causes from which these exceptions result and applying them to the particular instances before us, we are necessarily led to two important conclusions. For the first is that the convention must have enjoyed in a very singular degree an exemption from the pestilential influence of the party animosities, the disease most incident to deliberative bodies, and most apt to contaminate their proceedings. The second conclusion is that all of the deputations composing the convention were satisfactorily accommodated by the final act or were induced to accede to it by a deep convic conviction of the necessity of sacrificing private opinions and partial interests to the public good and by a despair of seeing this necessity diminished by delays or by new experiments. Publius. This is one of the very few um, of the Federalist Papers that makes any reference to God whatsoever. Um, one of the interesting things, um, there are those who talk about how the U.S. Constitution is based on the Bible and all this. Well, that's interesting because the minutes of the Constitutional Convention and the Federalist Papers don't hold that out. They're not discussing about how we got this from the Bible, we got that from the Bible. The The Bible is hardly mentioned. Um, here, you know, is simply a reference to the fact that, you know, all of these people couldn't have come together, you know, without 
the finger of the Almighty moving them together. Um, but there's no reference to Scripture or, or anything like that. So do, do be aware of that. The, the, the Christian nation, I'm not referring to the modern Christian nationalism, I'm referring to the, the, the Christian America movement that goes back several decades that, you know, would paint every one of the founding fathers as, you know, a Bible-believing evangelical, that is a false picture. Um, so keep that in mind. Does not mean that the Constitution is not a remarkable document, and it does not mean that the the government of the United States as instituted in the Constitution is not the finest form of government ever instituted among men. Now, God is a monarchist. Jesus is king. And he will, as we read in that devotional this morning, his kingdom will come. <laughs> um, and, and there's not going to be any voting. There's not going to be any legislative bodies meeting to decide things. It's going to be God's way or the highway. Um, and, and that will be a joy. But it's going to be a joy because we will have a perfect king. In a world of imperfect men, having imperfect men bound by law is important. And, and that is also discussed in that Federalist paper we just read. All right, let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Collect for the 26th Sunday after Pentecost. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Colic for Endurance Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through Jesus Christ your Son, our Lord, Amen. And the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven 
given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home, and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, well, that is Squirrel Chatter for today. As we head into the weekend, um, two things I want to mention. Would you please pray for a young man named Roman? Uh, night before last, um, he began suffering from acute liver failure. Um, he was a young college man, uh, and he is in the hospital currently and is uh, perhaps in need of a liver transplant. That was undetermined when I received the, the word to, to lat, last night. He is the, the friend of the daughter of friends of ours, and uh, they texted me asking for prayer last night. And so I'm asking for your prayers. Pray for his health, both physical and spiritual. Um, it is, he is an unbeliever um, facing serious, serious medical condition at a young age. So pray that God would use these circumstances and the people in his life to draw him to himself, that this young man might put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is much more important than his physical healing. Um, I'd rather see him become a Christian and die soon of this ailment than be physically healed live into his 80s and die apart from Christ because eternity with Christ is that important. And even a life of 80, 90, 100 years is all too brief compared to eternity. So pray for Roman, please. And uh, other than that, go Grizz. <laughs> we got to, we're playing the Delaware Blue Hens tomorrow night. So let's, let's, Pray that the uh, the Grizzlies will be victorious and advance to the next level of the FCS playoffs. So that's my weekend, and then church on Sunday. Go to church on Sunday. How many times do I say it? <laughs> Go to church on Sunday. Um, it's important for you to be there, and it's important for everybody else that you be there. All right, folks, that's Squirrel Chatter for this week. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. Go to church on Sunday, and we'll see you here on Monday. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.